surely great to be here this morning to worship the Lord God Almighty. King of kings and Lord of lords. There's nothing greater than to know him, to personally experience his power in your life, and to see everyday miracles take place in your life and in the lives of those around you. Amen? Now you turn in your Bibles to the passage today, and the, by the way, the title today is Testing and Overcoming. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Once you have the passage with you, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Testing and overcoming. Beginning in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into a holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for your holy word. We pray that you will bless it today, Father, in the hearts of the people that have come to hear it. I thank you for the day today, for today is a day that the Lord hath made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you for all your many blessings, Father. As I thank you, Father, for those that are here in attendance today. I pray for those who could not make it, Father, as I lift up Joan and her family as well in the passing of Jean. I thank you, Father, for the hope of glory, for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that abides in every believer through your Holy Spirit. For we do have a hope of glory, and we do know, Father, that one day we have a place prepared for us by you. We thank you for that hope. And Father, as we prepare to hear your word today, what you have given me this morning to share with the people of God that have gathered here today. I pray that you will bless it. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be a teacher. I pray that his anointing in me will be evident. And I pray that uh, you have glorified yourself, that you will glorify yourself in your word, Father, as you have during our worship time. I pray, Father, that you will have your way that you will bless everything we do and say. For we ask all of this 
in the holy, awesome, glorious, and eternal name of Jesus Christ. And the people of God say, Please be seated. Words matter. Words matter. There's a little story here about three sons. And they left home one day, left their mama. And as they were prosper in life, one day they decided they each give a gift to their mama. So they discussed what they were going to give her. And the first said, I'm going to build a big house for mother. The second said, I'm going to send her a Mercedes with a driver. The third said, you remember how mother enjoys reading the Bible, right? Don't you? Now she can't see very well. So I sent her a remarkable parrot that recites the entire Bible. It took the elders of the church 12 years to teach this parrot to recite the Bible. Mama just has to name the chapter and verse, and the parrot recites it. Soon thereafter, their mother sent out her letters of thanks after she had received their gifts. The first one said, to the first one, she said, Milton, the house you built is so huge. I live only in one room that I have to clean the whole house. <laughs> to Joe, she said, I am too old to travel. I spend most of the time at home, so I rarely use the Mercedes. And by the way, that driver you gave me, that came with it, he's so good, he's a pain. But to Donna, who sent that parrot, she said, the little chicken you sent was delicious. <laughs> Most of you got that one. The parrot became a chicken. The words do matter. Now, how do we transition from that silly story to passage to that? That's the trick. The words do matter. Because just like in that silly story, they do matter. They matter a lot. They matter to God. And they also matter to our enemy. The enemy of God and the enemy of every believer to Satan himself. As I have been covering the last few Sundays, we have been covering encounters that Jesus had with but today he had a different kind of encounter is the one we're going to cover. None other than Satan himself. Yes, he did have an encounter with him. Actually, he had many encounters. But he had one major one. And all of us need to pay attention to this encounter because in this encounter, Jesus gives every believer an image, a picture, a roadmap, how to overcome the temptations and the attacks of Satan. Because Satan will come against you. If you're a Christian, he will come like a roaring lion to keep you from doing the will of God, to take your joy away from you, to steal your testimony so you are an ineffective believer, so you will not be able to tell others about Christ, because if you're not living right before God, you will look like a hypocrite to the world. Well, Satan will do all these things. But in this passage, we see here an image of Jesus kind of like doing what Israel was supposed to do when they went to the wilderness. After God, through Moses, led them into the wilderness, they were tested 
God allowed them to be tested. And sometimes the tests come from Satan. We saw that in the book of Job. That God can use even Satan to allow a person who believes in God to be tested for their character to grow. And to experience the hand of God, the grace of God, the power of God, and the deliverance of God. So just like the people of Israel have been tested in the desert, Jesus went to the wilderness. And we pick up in verse 1. And it says here, And he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice who led Jesus into the wilderness, none other than the Holy Spirit. Jesus had just been baptized, and the Holy Spirit mightily, in a visible form, came down upon him. And God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then immediately after that, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. The word by the word tempted here literally means to test with ill intent. To test with ill intent. So Satan comes to tempt us, to test us, in order to cause us to fail and to fall. By the way, the word devil here literally means false accuser, a slanderer. And here is the prince of the devil, and the word in Greek is diabolos. We find that word in the New Testament 38 times. The words Satan in the Greek is Satanas, and there we find it 34 times, for a total of 72 times in the New Testament. 72 times the Bible refers to this evil foe of God and of us. So it's about time we learn how to deal with him. It is about time that the church of Jesus Christ, speaking of all believers, understand that he, no matter what, if even if we close our eyes, he's not going to go away. He's only going to go away when you stand up against him with the word of God and you say, God says the word, like Jesus taught us here. There are several things I want you to see in this passage. The first thing is a contrast between immediate needs versus God's eternal plan. Verse 2 says in Matthew 4 that when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And Heavenly Father led Jesus Christ into the wilderness and allowed him to feel human frailty. Allowed him to feel just like what we will feel. Because he was 100% human and 100% God. But the Bible tells us that when he came down to earth, it's like he laid aside. Like if he was to take his coat off and put it there in that chair. He laid aside his divinity. So he could walk this earth as you and as me. So he could relate to us and understand our weaknesses. And at the same time, show us how to overcome all the things that we face in this world. There are several things, two things in particular I want you to see in this contrast between immediate needs and God's eternal plan. The first one is an actual temptation to doubt God's care. Because this is the first major attack of Satan that came up against Jesus. He had fasted for 40 days. Verse 3, and the Bible says he was hungry. 
so the devil came to him and tempted him to do something about it doubting God's care verse 3 so now when the tempter came to him he said if you are the son of God and by the way the proper translation here is not if as if the devil doubted the devil knew full well who Jesus was when he said it should be since you are the son of God in other words, almost in a mock, mocking fashion. He's mocking the word of Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he said, since you're the son of God, in a very sarcastic manner, command that these stones become bread. A lot of believers sometimes fail right here, in this very point, when the devil comes and puts a thought in, your, in our hearts, in our minds. The first rule is, don't listen to the devil, and much less don't do what he says. Because when we do, we get in trouble. Because the devil is always after us to fail us, to cause doubt in our lives, so we will doubt the word of God, so we will doubt that God cares for us and that God has been taking care of us. Amen. There's a picture of this, and you will see it on the screen. In Genesis, when devil came up against Eve, in the Garden of Eden. In verse 1 and verses 4 and 5 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of the, of the tree of uh, every tree of the garden? Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice how he came to Eve. It was the same type of temptation that he's attacking Jesus with. In other words, you, God hasn't given you enough. God is not taking care of you. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. He's not a good steward. He brings doubt. We should know. We have many examples in the Bible. There's another example in the Old Testament as well. God provided the people of Israel manna every single day for 40 years. Every single day, all they had to do walk out of the camp in the early morning, and there was the manna all around them. And all they had to do was gather them. And the Bible says that that fed them. That they made it many different ways. They had recipes and all of that. But you would have thought that was, should have been enough for them. Now sometimes we forget that what God has given us is enough. Because he knows better. Amen. But the devil will come and tempt you. And lie to you. And cause you to doubt God's care of you. In Numbers chapter 11 verse 4. In Numbers 11 4. The people says that the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? So despite the fact that they had manna, they began to complain. They said, We're not having any meat. We will go out. It's been a bad time since we had meat. And it gets worse because later in verse 5 and 6, they started remembering their days of bondage in Egypt. And it says, We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now your whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. 
Notice that the devil was tempting them back then as he tempts us today that God is not taking care of us. That God hasn't given us what we need. Even to the point that they started remembering their days of captivity. That the Bible tells us was harsh. The Egyptians were hard taskmasters upon them. They would get beaten. They would get killed. And they started reminiscing of those days. That's what the devil will do to us. It will start reminding you before you got saved all the things you used to do. It will start reminding you all the things you used to partake of. Don't let him fool you. God is taking care of you. God takes care of the believer. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you will keep his commandments or not. God wants his people, those who will come to him, to keep his word. God is a God of his word. He is not like human beings. The Bible says, let it, this is not in the script, but the Bible says, let every man be a liar and God be true. Amen. God is truthful. Amen. And for God, the words matter. His words matter. And they need to matter a lot in the lives of every believer. Because if they don't, the Satan is going to come against you and bring doubt into your heart. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So the Bible commands us, when doubt comes, to cast all your care upon God, because he cares for you. The devil doesn't care. The devil just wants to fool you and to hurt you and to bring destruction upon you, to make your life a ruin. So you not only are not going to be effective before God, but your relationship with the Lord is going to be interrupted. You won't even be able to praise Him and worship Him, much less come to church. And you definitely are not going to be salt of the earth or light of this world, because you will, more likely you are bound to high from people and not tell, let them know that you are actually a Christian because of your testimony or the failure of it. Jesus had certainly had the power to command those stones to become bread. He had the power. But to do so would have been to disobey God and to say, you're not caring for me, so I'm going to take care of it myself. That's what Satan wants. For us to take things into our own hands and to try to fix them. Sometimes we got to wait for God to move. Sometimes we got to wait on the hand of God. If God is allowing you to experience something that is not pleasant, praise Him in the middle of that storm. Wait for His deliverance and His help. Don't try to fix things because more likely than not, it comes from the other side. And a big mess is going to happen. But the second thing I want you to see here on the immediate needs versus God's eternal plan is that Jesus had a response for the devil. And the response is that we need to depend on the word of God. Look at verse 4 with me in Matthew 4. 
But he answered and said, it is written. I love that part. Because the word of God has been written for us. That we would know his will. That we would not be ignorant of what he wants us to know about him. How we ought to live our lives before him. Amen. For it is written. Man, every single human being shall not live by bread alone. In other words, as important as food is, it is not the most important thing in the world. That's what he's saying. He said that there are every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He said that every single human being needs to learn to live by the word of God, by the light of the word of God that God gives us so we will know how to please Him and we will know what God wants from us. By the word, by the way, the word here for word in this verse is the word rema. In the Greek, it literally means the word that God decrees, the spoken word of God. The scripture, the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance to use in a time of need. There are certain things that sometimes we need to know as believers. The Bible says it's not in the screen, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by our dependence on the light of God that gives us light. It was so important for the people of Israel to know the word of God that God commanded them. A very special command in Hebrew is called the Shema. The Shema goes like this. Shema Yisrael. Adonai, Elohim, Adonai, Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you will see on the screen the whole passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Where he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God, underline that part in your Bibles, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's all the time. That's not some of the time, all of the time. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. It was so important for the people of Israel to know that the word of God was the most important thing they needed to teach their children. That God made them do it physically by putting them in, binding them in their hands. That was called phylacteries. And even today, devout Jews, they got this little, kind of like things they tied up with little boxes and they bind them in their hands and in the front of their, in their forehead. And they have little miniature scriptures of the Old Testament in these little boxes. It is a physical sign of the importance of the Word of God. They were to put it inside their doors of their house. They were in the morning, during the middle of the day, at night, wherever, with their children. That is so important to them. 
Because the Lord knew that it was only by the word of God that they were going to overcome Satan and all the things that he leads in this world that are evil. Because he is the God of this world. That is why it's so important when Jesus said it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, it should be evident that it is important for us to know the word of God. We should all be well versed. We should not all have to go to seminary, although I think it's a good thing. But we should be wise in the word of God, that even if a seminary person comes over and starts talking theology, we should be able to answer him with the word of God. We should be so adept at the word of God that if someone that we know is in the world and has not committed their lives to Jesus Christ talks about a situation or a problem in their life, we should be wise out of our mouth and bring light to that situation. That is the word of God. In season and out of season. But what Jesus is trying to say here is that as important as Human chores are, including food. The Word of God is more important. Amen. The Word of God should be more important. When your children start getting in all these video things and video games and all of that, that's fine and dandy, but then you should have time for the Word of God. Teach them the Word of God. They say, you're going to spend an hour in that? Then we're going to spend an hour in the Bible. Amen. That's right. We want to learn the word of God. Amen. Because they want to need it when Satan comes up against them. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33. He said, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Look who seek those things. The Gentiles, the heathen, the people who don't believe in God. That's why it's important to them. Because they have no future. Because when they leave this world, they can't take anything with them. And continue by saying, For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first, underline that part, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. That is the importance of seeking God and His word and having primacy in your life. Amen. You're kind of quiet. <laughs> Praise God. We are to seek the word of God. We are to seek his righteousness and his kingdom first above all things. Amen. Because if we don't, Satan's going to come against you and defeat you. And you're going to be a sorry sight afterwards. Do I hear him, amen? But that's just the first temptation that Satan threw at Jesus. He said, okay, I'm going to up the ante here. So in verse 5, he says, He took him up into the holy city of Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. That is the highest part of the temple that Herod had built. He actually had a retaining wall that went all the way down to the Kindle Valley which we don't know because most of them haven't been there, but it's that very deep gorge, over 400 feet deep. So Jesus was way up there in the roof of that temple, overlooking that big drop-off. And there he 
thing that God clearly tells him once again, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. And guess what? Now he does something that a lot of people don't know. Satan knows the word of God too. He quoted the word of God. He quoted Psalm 91 verse 1. He said, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now actually he corrupted that portion of the scripture, but he didn't quote the whole thing. But the devil will twist sometimes the word of God and make it sound something that is not. In order for people to justify sinful behavior. And that is what's going on in the world today. Where people say a certain lifestyle is okay before God. And these things are okay and these things are okay. And they have corrupted the word of God because they have missed taking out of context. The devil is an expert at it. That is why we are to seek first. Not self first, but God first. But we have a temptation to have all the gods before us. And this is what this temptation is. Sorry, tempting God versus testing God. Which is a temptation to test God's faithfulness. For Satan wants you to think that God is not with you. That God has abandoned you. That God has left you alone. so so many times that he's with us. Yes. In the book of Exodus chapter 17 verses 1 and 2 Exodus 17 1 and 2 says then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why did you contend with me? Why did you tempt the Lord? It's interesting to note that they had everything that they could possibly need. The Bible says that God was with them. That pillar of fire at night and that cloud, pillar of cloud during the day, they had physical manifestation of God's presence with them. And they were tempted to doubt his faithfulness. And maybe they had abandoned them. Everything they loved. As if God couldn't provide that. After parting the Red Sea. That God couldn't provide. That God could not find a way for them to have their needs met. That is a temptation here. Satan is tempting Jesus to do a miracle. To force the hand of God to tempt him, to save him. By misquoting a verse. The Bible reminds us in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Deuteronomy 7 9 says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. God is a faithful God. God has not abandoned you. The devil wants you to believe that. But he makes a covenant with us. And that covenant is the shed blood of Jesus Christ paid for our sins. And the moment you accept Jesus Christ into your life, God is on your side. 
that are not ordained in us. Jesus said, promise thou himself. In Matthew 28, verse 20, the second part of the verse says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord is with us all the time. Jesus responded to the devil in verse 7. Then he said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. The word tempt here literally means to put, to prove God's character and power, putting him to the test, refusing to believe until in him until he has manifested his power. And that's what a lot of people out there sometimes do. When they say, well, God, if you do this for me, I promise that I ain't going to go to church. I promise that I ain't going to be saved. I, they make all kinds of foolish things. In a way, tem tempting God. Trying to put him to the test. Not realizing that God has already offered us a gift of salvation. And we don't have to test the matter. All we have to do is receive it. Amen. We saw a, a little test at a... A little illustration I had the other day where children here in VBS when I offered them a quarter and said, this is a gift to whoever wants it the most. And all of them, you know, it took a while for them to figure out that this big girl came up, I think it might have been prompted by someone. <laughs> but this big girl came up and grabbed it from my hand. Then everybody figured it out. Wait, wait a minute. If children can figure it out so quickly, God has already offered us His protection. God has already offered His faithfulness. Why do we fall in the, t in the test of tempting Him by asking Him for things to, in order for us to believe and to obey and to, yes, yes, I will do this. All we need is to believe and abide by the Word of God. That is what God wants us to know. Jesus responded likewise here. He said, depend on God's presence. That's why you are not to tempt the Lord. You're not to put Him to the test because we are not alone in this world. His presence is in the life of every believer. It's a great example in the Old Testament how God shows up at the right moment and is always there. Daniel was a man of God, and he served God during a time of captivity. And during that time, he got in trouble one day because he was worshiping God and not the king of the land. They told him, oh, he's praying, he's worshiping his God, not you, O king. So unfortunately, because of the laws of the Medes and Persians, he was put in a cave with lions. But because God was with him. Look what happened with me. In Daniel chapter 6, verses 20 through 22. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God set his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. God was with Daniel there and kept the lions from hurting him. God is with you and will keep you in the way and will not allow anything to happen to you without his consent. Amen. 
Jesus and so promised us. In the Gospel of John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, He promises this. He says, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide you with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The believer has the Holy Spirit in him. We have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we've been sealed by the Spirit of promise. We are the temple of the living God. Our bodies are a living temple. For God dwells inside of every believer. So when the devil comes and tempts you regarding God's faithfulness, all you have to do is stand on the word of God and say, God before me, who can be against me? Quote the Bible. Send that devil packing. There's that third temptation here that is also very significant that we have to deal with. And this is the, the toughest one. In the day and age that we live, is whether to have self first or God first. In other words, am I going to live for myself or am I going to live for the Lord? And the temptation is to have all the gods before us. Look at verse 8. Then the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The kingdoms are Basilea, the royal dominions, their glories, their wealth, their treasures. And then he said to him, All these things I will give you. And he could give because the Bible said he's the God of this world. So it was under his power. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, they kind of like gave Satan the keys to this earth. Temporarily. And Jesus came to undo that. But he says, I will give you all of this if you fall down and worship me. Because that is what the devil wants. He wants to take our worship of God away from God and back into him. Because when you worship anything else in this world above God, you're worshiping him. For he is a God of this world. And there's so many things that we can be attacked with in this world. But we have a great example here of the people of Israel once again. Even after God had delivered them from Egypt, from the bondage of the Egyptians, and they've seen the pillar of fire and the cloud, and they saw that cloud that fell upon the Mount Sinai when God was there and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. They could see all of that. And the earth shaking. Despite all of that, they still were tempted to go after other gods. In Exodus 32, 1, the first part of verse 1 says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. Can you believe that? After God had delivered them, and they had crossed the Red Sea and all of that, they still believed that we, they needed something more tangible, something that they could actually see and touch to worship. In verse 4, Exodus 32, 4 says, And he, Aaron received the bread from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Can you believe that? They made an image of a cow 
And God said, this is God. This is what delivers us. In Exodus 32, verses 7 and 8, look what happened when the Lord saw that. The Lord said to Moses, go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have cursed, looked at themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. There are many gods in this world today. There's a God of materialism. No, we don't have altars to Baal and to Ashtoreth and some of the other gods that the people of Israel worshipped during the Old Testament times. So we have modern gods. Many of them are materialistic. Those gods seek us to have more than the, na- than the neighbor next to us. And we kind of like compete. And people compete one with another. Hey, this one got a boat. I got to get me a bigger boat. This one got an SUV. I got to get me a big pickup truck then. And that has become our modern gods. I'm not saying it's bad to have things. It's bad to worship them. It's bad to put our hearts in them. Because they become gods in our lives. And when we do that, we might as well bow our knee to Satan because that's what people are doing when they worship those things. They have taken worship of God. They have forgotten about the living God. And they are worshiping the creature instead of the creator. They are worshiping things that are made. Things that are not important. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. In Matthew 6 24 it says, No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon stands for riches. Material possessions. It's not in the screen, but Jesus said, well, where your heart is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What are you worshiping today? What is Satan tempting you to worship instead of the living God? Jesus had a quick response once again with the word of God. In verse 10 he said, I will with you, Satan. He had it. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. The word serve literally means to serve, to worship, to be concerned about him only. For that is our response. The response of Jesus needs to be our response. We need to depend on the living God. He warned us in many different instances in the New Testament about material things. He warned us. The parable of the rich fool is one such example. Look with me on the screen in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 17, and then 18 through 21. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he or she possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. 
And he found within himself saying, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid out for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Then God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. If God has blessed you with material possessions, praise God for it, but don't set your heart on them. Amen. We are to be rich in God. We are to be rich in Him and in His Word. In His presence in our lives. For all those material things, lust, mouth, or thieves can take away. And when we leave this world, we can we'll definitely not be taking them with us. Don't set your hearts on other gods. Set your heart on the only living God. Amen. Jesus said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 13 and 14, and Jesus quoted this to the devil, said, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oath in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. And this is a problem for the believers sometimes that even though we're in the world, we're not of the world. Yet we're tempted to be like the world. So if the world has these things and they consider it important, then a believer has to have them too. And the Bible says that is not the way it needs to be because we are to be rich in God, not in the things of this world. Because the things of this world belong to the God of this world and when we set our hearts on them, we we'll might as well be worshiping Him, not the true and living God. Can you hear me? Yes. I went to the mission field. Several countries. And I can definitely tell you the most glorious sharing of the Word of God that I ever had this one cannot be topped. It was a little village in Yucatan, Mexico. Their church was just four beams with a metal sheets laid on top of it. They weren't even bolted or anything, just metal sheets laid out on top. A wire running from somewhere, coming down straight down the middle, hanging in a light like this, a light bulb, right here. And I had to preach right there because I couldn't see anything past that because it was a very dim light bulb. People were sitting in little wooden benches that were handmade, really short like this because there were many children. Probably about 40, 50 people gathered in that place. There were no walls, no windows, no door, no nothing. The floor was just dirt. Mosquitoes and bugs flying all around. I couldn't figure out that I couldn't read the the outline that I have, so I had to go by what God had put in my heart. Amen. That was the most glorious moment that I have ever experienced preaching the Word of God. They weren't rich in material things, but they were rich in one thing, in faith in God. 
and God ministered. 28 people came to Christ that day. Rich in faith. We need to be rich in the word of God. We need to be rich in the things of God and not in the things of this world. The Lord gives us a warning in Exodus chapter 34 verse 14. He gives us the following one. He says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. I don't want him mad at me. I don't. And I don't want him to think that I've been playing behind his back and going after other things that are taking his place in my life. I fear God plenty. I remember the Bible says, it's not in the screen, but it says our God is a consuming fire. We need to have reverence of God. And we need to have fear of God. And we need to come down on our knees and get on our knees and say, God, forgive me. God, deliver me. God, strengthen me. God, change me. Don't let your mind be corrupted by the things of this world. We're like the sand that we go upstream. We don't go with the current. Christians need to go against the grain. We need to stop running with the world. The world is only corrupting us further and bringing God little by little, expiring His light in so many churches today because they have accepted the ways of the world. They've forgotten the Word of God. We must put our trust in Jesus and only the only one who was tested and overcame Satan. And he's given us the tools to do so as well. In Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16, he says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Underline that part in your Bible. He was in all ways pointed, in all ways tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus understands when you are tempted. By the way, to be tempted is not to sin. It's only when you carry forth that temptation. It's only when you follow it and you are tempted. And you say, yeah, yeah, it looks good. That's when you've sinned. Sin is a, it's actually growth in your heart out of that temptation. We're going to be tempted by Satan. We're going to be attacked to doubt God's word, to doubt his faithfulness, to doubt his presence in our lives. Depend on the word of God. And depend on the high priest that is in heaven right now, the right hand of God interceding for us day and night against the devil. That's why it says, Let us therefore come boldly through the throne of grace. In other words, don't be shy to come to the Lord with your needs. Don't be shy to come to Him and say, Lord, help me. The devil is after me. I need your help. I need your power and your strength says that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
When you're tempted, it's a time of need. That's a time to get on your knees and call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. And then it says, the second part of verse, says, So shall I be delivered from my enemies. In the screen you will see James chapter 4 verse 7. It says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice that first we have to submit to the Lord. You can't just resist the devil. If you're not in submission to the Lord, if you're not walking right before God, you cannot resist the devil. The devil's going to come against you and buffer you left and right and make a mess of you in your life. Make a mess of your home and your family. Shut the door on him before he even steps in. Don't let him have a foothold because once he puts a foothold, he'll become a stronghold and then it's tougher to get rid of him. The Bible, Jesus said it's the strong man. In other words, to clean up a house, first you've got to bind that strong man. So don't let him in. Close the door. The final verse I'm going to share to, today is Psalm 37, verses 39 40. Psalm 37, 39 40 says, But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. The Lord is our deliverer. The Lord is my helper. And it says that He will deliver us from the wicked. The wicked one, Satan himself. And all his evil forces. Because we trust in Him. How are you doing today, my brother, my sister in Christ? Against the walls of the devil. I can definitely tell you he's been scheming. He's been doing that for a long time. He's been probing. Looking for a weak area to penetrate. To come into your life, into your home, into your family. To destroy, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he looks for. Jesus gave us the way to resist him with the word of God by trusting in the care, faithfulness, and presence of God in our lives. Would you do so today? Would you allow him to minister unto you, to bless you, to help you in a time of need? Will you please bow your heads with me?